Good evening. Tonight's sermon is our third installment in our current Sunday night sermon mini-series entitled Going Back to the Well. As we've said before, it is based on a work, work book by, I can say that, a work book by brother and fellow preaching peer Kent Heaton entitled Bible Stories at the Well. When I was thumbing through this workbook or saw this workbook and I picked it up, I thought it was really intriguing when I noticed, really I guess for the first time, how many life-altering, history-changing, and even eternal life-transforming events took place in the Bible around wells of water. So it is no wonder that when our Lord and Savior came on that last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. It's no surprise that Jesus would talk about the living water when you really stop and consider again all of the, all of the life-giving, life-altering stories and accounts we have in the scriptures around the well or a well. Over the past two Sunday evenings, we've talked about a couple of those history-changing, perhaps even eternal life-altering events that took place around water wells in Scripture. We looked at John chapter 4 and the account of the Samaritan woman at the well, at the well. And we looked at how the earthly lives, as well as very likely some of the eternal lives of those townspeople were changed or altered or transformed, impacted at the very least because of the conversation that Jesus had with that woman at the well in John 4. And last week we looked at how a, a pregnant Hagar fled from Sarah or Sarai in, in Genesis chapter 16 and how, how God saw her at this well and how he sent her back to Abraham and Sarah to give birth and to begin to raise her son Ishmael hers and Abraham's son, Ishmael, whom the angel of the Lord had told her in Genesis 16, 12, would be a wild man, and his hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And, and how prophetic and true that was. When you stop and think about Ishmael, you may recall so a couple things that we didn't really go into detail on, but you may recall it was Ishmael's descendants, the Ishmaelites, whom Joseph's brothers, who were descendants of Isaac, sold Joseph into slavery to. It was the Ishmaelite traders that Joseph was sold into slavery to or sold to and then taken and sold into slavery in Egypt in Genesis 37, 25 through 28. You might also recall that it was the Ishmaelites or the descendants of this Ishmael whom David said were joined together with the rest of the enemies of the Israelites to destroy Israel in Psalm 83, one through six. In fact, all of the modern day upheaval and the wars that you've heard about and the terrorism in the Middle East can be traced back 
to this incident as Muhammad, the founder of Islam, claims his lineage and descendancy back to Ishmael through Ishmael's firstborn son, whose name was Dembeoth, as we see in Genesis 25, 12 and 13. Consider how many lives, how many millions of lives, how much of history would have been completely different had God not, in his great love for Abraham, come to rescue Hagar at those wells and instead she and her son had perished at either the one in Genesis 16 or the one in Genesis 21. And so life and history altering events that centered around a well. Tonight's might not seem as impactful as that, maybe, but I can assure you tonight's lesson is one that has life-changing power for those who decide to put it into practice. It is a lesson that most of our seasoned saints already know, but one that many of our young people need to know, need to learn, need to have instilled on their hard drives and always be aware of and put into practice in order to have that successful life that God would have them to lead. Tonight's lesson picks up with Abraham's son, Isaac, actually. When he is older and he is ready for marriage, it is a lesson entitled, The Well of Industry. The Well of Industry. And it focuses on the industrious, hardworking, benevolent young girl named Rebecca, which we read about in Genesis 24. Brother Heaton said, Industry, as we talk about the well of industry, industry is, the, is defined as hard work, energetic, devoted activity at any worse work or task. Diligence. That's what he's talking about when he's talking about being industrious. Hard work. Thomas Edison said, there is no substitute for hard work. Opportunity is missed by many because it is dressed in overalls and looks like work. Sam Ewing said, hard work spotlights the character of people. Character. Some turn up their sleeves. Some turn up their noses. Some don't turn up at all. What Rebecca did at the well that I want us to read about tonight, and you can please be turning to Genesis 24. I said Genesis 25, I think earlier, it's Genesis 24. What Rebecca did at the well highlighted or spotlighted her character as a hard worker, and it changed her life forever. Genesis 24, let us begin in verse one. <clears throat> Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house who ruled over all that he had, please put your hand under my thigh, again Genesis 24, now verse three. And I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but you shall go to my country and to my family, and take a wife for my son Isaac. 
And the servant said to him, Perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? But Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family, and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying, To your descendants I will give I, to your descendants I give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. The thing that I want us to notice as we begin to set the, the background for what is about to happen regarding Rebecca, I want us to notice once again in this text Abraham's faith. Abraham said, I want my son to have a wife from my people, not from the Canaanites amongst which we live. And the servant says, well, should I take him back there? And Abraham's response was, we just read it, but if I may paraphrase, Abraham, no. Why? Because God said he'd give me this land, and I trust God. That's the implication. God said he'd give me this land. My son stays here. God will keep his word. Once again, we just see another example of the faith of Abraham. Moving on in this chapter, verse 10. Then the servant took 10 of his master's camels. Remember that number. That's going to come back later. Don't forget this. Scripture says, servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed. For all his master's goods were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. Just real quickly thinking back. Again, the point made with the story at the woman at the well, she was there at noonday heat. They didn't go in the noonday heat typically. They went either in the evening or early morning when it was cooler. In this story here, they went in the evening. Verse 12. Then he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink, and she says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac, and by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. I heard it said a long time ago, something along these lines that those of us who have children should be from the moment we have children praying for the spouse that one day our child will marry. I've heard it said that we as both parents and grandparents need to be praying for the parents and grandparents of those whom our children will grow up to marry. Here is an incident not of that, but here is an incident of a man praying about God's will insofar as a wife for Isaac. Verse 15, and it happened before he had finished speaking that behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Get this picture in mind. She comes out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Now, 
That's all she's got. This is key to this event. She's got this one pitcher, be it a big clay one probably, maybe metal, we don't know. Bible doesn't say, but her pitcher is on her shoulder. This is not a 55-gallon drum, okay? If it was, she couldn't carry it. She certainly couldn't pick it up if it was full of water. This was just a pitcher, not maybe like a gallon pitcher today, but maybe a few gallons, and we'll, we'll get to that. But it, the thing is, is that she had it on her shoulder, and she's carrying it out. Now, the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin. No man had known her. And she went down to the well, filled her pitcher, and came up. Another two key phrases to be aware of as we progress through this account. She went down to the well, filled her pitcher, and came up. Apparently, this well was at the foot of at least some little incline. That's important. We'll see why in a few minutes. And the servant ran to her and said, please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. Now, the woman's out to get water. She's down at the well, she gets some water in her pitcher. And this strange man she's never seen before runs up to her and says, hey, can I have a drink? What does she do? I want you to notice her benevolence. I want you to notice what an incredible young woman this is. So she said, drink my Lord. Then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. She quickly brought this pitcher of water down off her shoulder to give to, the, to her hand, to give to the man. Quickly, no complaint, no gripe, no, no consternation, no hesitation. She quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink, but she doesn't stop there. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. She didn't stop. He says, can I have some water? She says, sure. She's quick about it. She says, let me, let me, let me fill your camels. I will get water for your camels until they're done. Not just get water for them. Not just give them a sip. Not just give them a I will supply until they are done. Then she quickly... She didn't hesitate. She didn't grumble. She didn't, she, didn't, she didn't wait for somebody else. She quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well. I would have us remember down to the well, as it says in verse 16, to draw water, and drew for all his camels. Uh, get a picture of what's going on. There's a lot of key little words that I've thrown out here so that we can understand what's going on. This was no easy task. He had 10 camels. She's got just one pitcher. She doesn't have a 55-gallon drum. She doesn't have a water cart. She's got one pitcher. The well is down to some sort of little incline, even if it was a few steps or, or down a few steps or whatever. It's down to the well. It's back up. She's got one pitcher. He's got 10 camels. She said, I'll give them water till they're done. You know how much water a camel can drink? I'll tell you how much water a camel can drink, according to the good brother who wrote this study. He said, it has been estimated that a camel will drink 20 to 25 gallons in 10 minutes, and that a camel can drink as much as 40 gallons in one session, can drink as much as 40 gallons. 
Rebecca may have drawn as much as 400 gallons of water if the camels had not had any water for a while. Four hundred gallons? Now, we don't know that she drew four hundred gallons. That's how much a camel can drink. You had ten camels, forty gallons, they're possible to drink, that'd be four hundred. I, I don't know that that was necessarily the case. Bible doesn't tell us that was the case, so I'm certainly not going to say it was. But the bottom line, there's a lot of water being brought to those camels. And, and a really, a need for you to think about this. He said, remember, she came to the well with only her pitcher, only this one pitcher. And she drew water from the well and poured it into the trough. This was an amazing example of a hardworking girl. Don't try to say girl and gallon at the same time. This was an amazing example of a hardworking girl. Now, I want you to stop and do the math with me. Let's say that it wasn't 400 gallons. Let's say it was half that. Because like he said, a camel can drink 20 to 25 gallons on average in 10 minutes. Not to fill them up, but in 10 minutes. So let's assume that maybe 200 gallons of water, because she said, I'll, fill them, I'll, I'll let them drink till they're full, till, till they're done. 200 gallons, let's say her pitcher was, you, you've probably all lifted buckets of water, pails of water, okay? This pail of water or a, a container, she's got to get up on her shoulder. Let's say it was five gallons. Water weighs 8.33 pounds per gallon. Learned that when I was driving truck hauling water. So if it was a five gallon pitcher that she brought, it would weigh about 42 pounds. Now, I don't know how strong this girl was, but even if she was a little stronger than that, it may have been a six gallon, I don't know, five or six. But let's assume 200 gallons, if she had a five gallon pitcher, it's 42 pounds that she would be putting on her shoulder, up and down this little incline. At five gallons a piece, each trip, for 200 gallons for those camels, do you know how many trips that is? Divide five into 200 and you come up with 40 trips. 40 trips. Up, down, go down, get the water, pull the water up, go back up the hill. Empty it in the trough, go back down, 40 trips. Now, I don't know if she made 40, but I know she made a lot. Think about that. Because it says, and the man, verse 21, wondering at her, remained silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. He's sitting there wondering and watching and this girl is working hard. That amazed me when I thought maybe 35, 25, 30, 40, 45 trips up and down with this thing of water on her shoulder. But she didn't stop there after the camels had finished drinking and, and it tells us verse 23 so it was when the camels had finished drinking they, the camels got all they wanted. There was 10 of them. Told us that in verse 10. She's still not done. He asked her a question. He said, you got room for me to lodge tonight? And look what she says in verse 25. Moreover, she said to him, we have both straw and feed enough and room to lodge. Not only has she watered his camels, but she said, yeah, we, we've got room for you. We've got feed for your animals. Yeah, we, we'll take care of you. What an incredibly hardworking young lady. What an industrious young lady at the well. I want to take that thought and run with it for the rest of this lesson. We all know from Proverbs chapter 31, verses 10 through 31, I hope every young lady in this room is listening, 
There is no greater God-given gift on this earth behind Jesus, of course, who is the most important, other than a godly, virtuous, and hard-working wife or helpmate. There is simply nothing that is any more priceless behind Jesus. Her worth, the Bible says, a hard-working, godly, virtuous woman, her worth is far beyond riches and treasure, according to Proverbs 31 and verse 10. Her worth is far above rubies, and all of you gentlemen who are married to a godly woman understand exactly how true that is. And as King Lemuel or Solomon concludes in verses 25 through 31 of Proverbs, and you can turn there if you want to, Proverbs 31, as, as he concludes about this godly, virtuous wife or woman, look what he says. He says in Proverbs 31, beginning at verse 25 of that woman, strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her saying, many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. There's nothing more beautiful than a godly, virtuous helpmate. Verse 30 is so true. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is passing. Physical beauty as you age, be it male or female, physical beauty doesn't seem to be what it once was when you were 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years younger. But here's the thing, and I've said this before, while physical beauty deteriorates over time, the beauty of a godly person, and particularly a godly woman, only grows over time. But this virtuousness, this hard-working, virtuous industriousness is not just simply limited to one scene or one situation or even one gender. It is intended by God to saturate and to permeate and to be displayed by each one of his children in any and every circumstance they find themselves. Remember, <clears throat> this industriousness is a character trait. That's important. It's not a physical thing, it's a character trait. It's part of who you are as a Christian, as a godly person. What other character traits are there? Faith, hope, love, and others like that. Those are things that you are on the inside. Those are character traits. Industriousness is a character trait like those. It is not simply something one does on the outside, but it is something that one is on the inside. It, it's something that shines through in everything you do on the outside. I, I want for us to take a quick look in the book of Proverbs and look at how this, this hard work ethic, this ethic, this integrity, this industriousness is so important a godly person. Turn with me to, to Proverbs and we'll look at a number of them right up through. Begin in Proverbs 10 with me, would you please? 
Notice how important this is to God for all of us. Proverbs chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. Solomon here, in his godly wisdom, ties diligence and industriousness to wisdom and righteousness. Proverbs 10, 1 through 5, the Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish son is the grief of his mother. Treasures of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness delivers from death. Notice in verse 1, he's talked about the wise. Verse 2, the righteous. Then he says in verse 3, the Lord will not allow the righteous soul to famish, but he casts away the desire of the wicked. He who has a slack hand, that is one who is not industrious, one who is not a hard worker, one who is not diligent, he who has a slack hand becomes poor. But the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a wise son. So now you've got wisdom and diligence, verses 4 and 5, tied to righteousness and tied to wisdom in verses 1 and 2. Verse 5, he who gathers in summer is a wise son. He who sleeps in harvest is a son who causes shame. Proverbs chapter 12 Verses 11, 24, and 27 say this. 12, 11, 24, and 27. He who tills his land will be satisfied with bread, but he who follows frivolity is devoid of understanding. The hand of the diligent will rule, but the lazy man will be put to forced labor. Verse 27, the lazy man does not roast what he took in hunting, but diligence is man's precious possession. Proverbs 13.4 says the soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. Proverbs 18 verse 9 is really kind of eye-opening. It's kind of stunning. It says, he who is slothful in his work is a brother to him who is a great destroyer. Hmm. There's others in Proverbs, but the final one that just provides a synopsis, perhaps, is in Proverbs chapter 24. Look at 20, Proverbs 24, beginning at verse 30. This kind of wraps it all up. I went by the field of the lazy man, and by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding. And there it was, all overgrown with thorns. Its, its surface was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. When I saw it, I considered it well. I looked on it and received instruction. He said, this is what I learned by looking on that, that field with the broken down wall and the, the weeds growing everywhere and, and uh, all of that. He said, this is what I learned when I saw that. Verse 33, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. It will come on you fast. Not only do we see this in the Old Testament, but we see it in the New Testament. And tonight, I'd like for us to look at four quick places where we see this need for industriousness revealed. This need for hard work. The first one is when it comes to the workplace. Ephesians chapter six, the first place 
is when it comes to the workplace. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 5. You know, not every job is an easy job, especially when you start with entry-level jobs and everybody else is above you, and sometimes they're not easy and they're just kind of hard to take. But as Christians, it says in Ephesians 6:5, bond servants be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ. What does that mean? That means work for the boss that you work for as if you're working for Jesus. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. God's will is that you show forth an industriousness, that you work as if you're working for Christ, that you are a good worker, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. In Colossians chapter 3, we would notice a very similar passage on this industriousness when it comes to the first of our four places, the work place. In Colossians 3, beginning at verse 22, it says, Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, what if the job includes cleaning the men's room. Whatever you do, well, what if it involves bagging and taking out the trash at the fast food place? Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. That's what it's all about. You see, as a Christian, when you work for somebody, it is not only your reputation that is on the line. It is the church's reputation, whom you attend, which, which church you attend, it is the church's reputation, and it is Christ's reputation that is also on the line. The second place that I'd like for us to look at where we see this industriousness reflected as a need is in our place in society. Our place in society. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 28. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 28 says this. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. I'd also ask you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 9. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, notice this, beginning at verse 9. You know, this morning we talked a lot about love and how we need to love, if we claim to love and, and have faith in Christ, we need to love one another. And, and that was this morning's sermon. And this particular text ties all of that together, brotherly love, as well as hard work that's a part of the way that we show love. 
According to 1 Thessalonians 4.9, it says, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. Okay, how do I increase more and more? I already love people. I, I, I'm loving them. I'm, I'm doing what I should. But Paul says, I want you to increase more and more. And also, and this is really part of it, Verse 11, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you that you may walk properly toward those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. Our place in society in general is often determined by whether or not we are that hard worker. Listen, when we talk about qualifications for elders, and I've talked about this before, they must have a good reputation with outsiders. When do you think, when do you think that, that somebody Ty's age starts building a good reputation with outsiders? It ain't when you're 30. Your reputation's probably pretty well established by then. It's a lot younger. Well, how do you establish it? With an honesty and an integrity and an industriousness where you work is part of it. You know, we, I, I got to say this, we live in a world today, and I, I say that a lot, but we do where hard work is no longer honored like it once was. Karen and I were <clears throat> up in Owasso earlier this week, and we went to this particular place to eat. And there's one lady waiting tables in there. And seemed a little odd, but okay. So she said, I'll be with you in just a minute, I'll see you. She said, we, I'm the only one here tonight. And I'm thinking, and this restaurant's got like, I don't know, 40 tables, maybe 30 tables, I don't know, a lot of tables. One person, it, it didn't make sense. So she's flying around and trying to take care of everything and seat people and take care of dirty dishes and take orders and all of this. She stops at our table and she said, I said, why, is it a scheduling glitch? Is everybody sick? What happened? It was one of those beautiful days last week. She said. We typically have five wait staff and two cooks. Of the five wait staff tonight, four of them called in sick, and so did one of the cooks. There were two people in that whole restaurant. Now, it may have been, everybody was sick, that's possible, but boy, it was a nice day. <laughs> I'm not judging, I'm just saying. We, work, we live in a society today where hard work has kind of lost its, lost its meaning, and Places are, you know, you, every place you go by, it seems like. Fast food restaurants, right? Used to be entry-level jobs, you know. Now they're offering pretty good money to work. And, and some of them are offering bonuses, sign-on. But there are industries, trucking industry right now is sign-on bonuses all over the place. Some of them, a couple grand. I mean, hard work has lost its appeal to a lot of people, but we are to be industrious as God's people. The third place that industriousness is important is when it comes to our place in the Lord's church. Turn to me to 2 Thessalonians, if you would, chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians, chapter 3, beginning at verse 10. Has to do with our place in the church, too. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you, this is written to a church, or to churches, 
For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, if you'll turn over there, very next book with me, 1 Timothy chapter 5, you will see that this industriousness is important when it comes to our place in the church again. 1 Timothy 5 and verse 8 says, If anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's a powerful verse. If you don't work to take care of your own family, providing for your own, and especially those of his household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Wow! Is industriousness important to God? Absolutely. In fact, he goes on, because the overall context here is, is talking about honoring widows, and he'll go on in the next few verses to say, hey, if the widow has not shown industriousness, if she has not been a worker, may I say like Rebecca, if she has not stayed busy with doing all of these good things and had an integrity when it comes to work, don't put her on the list to support her. Look what he says in verses 9 and following. Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number, and not unless she has been the husband of one wife, well reported for good works. Everybody knows this woman has worked hard, done a lot of good things, if she has brought up children, there's a job in itself, right? If she has lodged strangers, Rebecca did that. If she has washed the saints' feet, that means if she has been willing to do the dirtiest jobs, as it were. If she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work, is industriousness important to a person's place in the church? Absolutely. One other text in this place, that is the church, is Romans chapter 12. We cannot afford not to be industrious when it comes to our place in the church. Romans 12 and verse 10. Another text that ties together brotherly love with this type of industriousness. Romans 12:10. be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor giving preference to one another. Talked about that this morning, but then look what he immediately goes into. Not lagging in diligence. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. Brethren, there's a lot of work right there. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, distributing, giving to hospitality, having people in your home. There's a lot of work right there. And he said, that's what the Christian's supposed to look like. That's part of loving one another as well. But the fourth, the final, and obviously the most important place where this industriousness is so vital is when it comes to getting to the place where you will spend eternity. I'm not talking about working our way to heaven because we can't do that. But I would refer us all to Matthew chapter 25. I'm not going to go over the whole chapter, but in Matthew chapter 25, there are three different places there where 
it tells us just how important industriousness or hard work or willing to work hard tells us how vital that is to going to heaven. In, in Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13, you have the parable of the, the virgins that didn't prepare, the ones that did prepare and got oil in their lamps and they're waiting for the bridegroom. And then you have those virgins who didn't take the time, they didn't put in the work, they didn't put forth the effort to be prepared. They didn't, they didn't have any oil for their lamps. And so they come to the, the, the diligent workers who were prepared and stayed ready and all of that. And, and they say, can we have some of you? And they say, no, you'll have to go get your own. It's, it's kind of hard to find oil at midnight in those days. Middle of the night, as it were. And so that shows us the importance of hard work because the master closes the door. And those that weren't prepared, those who hadn't put in the work to get prepared, weren't allowed in with him. That's verses 1 through 13. The second illustration there Jesus uses in verses 14 through 30 is the parable of the talents. We know the story. One man gets five, one gets two, one gets one. The man who gets five goes out and puts his to work, gets a reward. The man who gets two goes out and puts his to work, gets a reward. The man who got one, no industriousness, no work, no labor, no investment. What did Jesus call him when he came back? You wicked and lazy servant. See, industriousness is important to us going to heaven. Finally, Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46, the, the third illustration Jesus talks about is when he comes on that day and separates the sheep from the goats and those who are going to heaven versus those who are going into everlasting punishment. And, and the, separating, the separating standard there is whether or not they've worked and fed the hungry and clothed those who needed it and given to those who didn't have and uh, visited the prisoners and all of those things. That, that's the dividing line. Those who were industrious and worked for the master and worked to help the needs of the saints in need and those who didn't. As I close tonight, we do live in a world where even in my short life, I know to some of you young people, it doesn't seem my life's been that short, but <clears throat> to me it does. We live in a world today where even in my short life, looking back over several decades, it just doesn't seem like hard work means as much as it used to, that integrity and industriousness often seem to be lacking, both in pursuit of things on this earth and things spiritual. But as children of God, through the study of his word, we need to continually develop and put on display for all the world to see the essential Christ-like character of happy, hard-working industriousness like that that Rebecca showed at the well in Genesis 25. Because like her, it can change the direction of our entire life as well as, as we've seen from Matthew 25, the direction of our eternal life. Speaking of which tonight, if you'd like to change the direction of your eternal life right here, right now, tonight, and you have never decided to put your faith in Christ to repent and to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, did you know that you can change your eternal life right here and right now by being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins? You can walk out that door with your eternal life totally changed from what it was when you came into this building. Or, if you've come to the point that you know that you need to change direction in your earthly life, in your workplace, your place in the community, your place in the church. Because you know that you just haven't been as diligent 
and involved and industrious and as hardworking an example as you know you ought to be as a child of God and you just like the prayers of the church that you'd be a better example that you would be more involved we can pray for you if either one of those are your needs tonight please come to the front as we stand and sing